0: the video very much and good morning everybody it's nice to see you today on this third Sunday in February 2017 how in the world did we get this far into the year already it doesn't seem possible but my lovely wife miss Carl and I are delighted to worship with you today here at First Church and now in three different campuses I don't use the word awesome very often but that's pretty awesome and they uh, proud of you at Ozark Christian College we've had a wonderful partnership with this church through the many years several of your staff people have been our our graduates of our school. Uh, there are a lot of uh, prospective students that we look forward to seeing in days to come. There's certainly current students at the uh, college from this congregation, so I want to thank you as a representative of the school for sending your students to the campus, for sending your dollars to help with our ministry to Joplin and to send to heaven your prayers to raise up laborers for the harvest. Thank you very much. At this educational arm of the church called Ozark Christian College, close by you, we simply want to help people. People go to the next level in their faith so let me give you a little resource that might help you with that uh, more recently we have put on our website just go to the Ozark Christian College website and click on the thing that calls next level and our professors are just accumulating a lot of videos usually about tw- 15 to 20 minutes so they work perfect for home Bible studies or Bible school classes give you time to discuss but their lectures from our college teachers are you ready for the next word they're free They're free. And so that might be a way to help you. If so, I I hope you'll take advantage of it. Glad to worship with you today. Well, it was November 16th, 2016, just before Christmas, that Amazon uh, put a commercial on television. And it ran through the Christmas season. I bet you, I just bet you that you saw it. It's the first commercial that I understand from my reading featured a Muslim cleric on it. Maybe you remember this. Uh, That an Episcopal priest has befriended a Muslim cleric and they've become good buddies. And they share life together. The opening scene of the commercial shows these two guys uh, seated at the Episcopal priest's house. And they're sharing some tea and enjoying some good laughter and conversation. And then they're both sort of my age. Thank you for the birthday wish, 64. My birthday cake looks like a prairie fire. Anyway, so they're kind of my age. And they get up out of their chairs and it sounds like with their knees a 21-gun salute. You know what I'm saying? I mean pop, 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 pop. And they kind of look at each other like, oh, this is harder these days. And they laugh a little bit. And then the Muslim cleric leaves the house of the Episcopal priest and uh, both of them have the same idea at the same moment. They take out their cell phones as he's walking away from the house, and while still in his house, they hit the one click. Do you do that? I do that. One click for Amazon, and they buy each other the same gift. Okay. Knee braces for old knees. Remember this commercial? And just within a few days comes the box in the mail from Amazon, and they both open it up, and they both see the green knee braces and they have a good laugh and after the end of the commercial it shows the Episcopal priest bowing with his new knee braces at his church in prayer and they show the Muslim cleric bowing with his new braces in the Islamic mosque and it's a very touching commercial now let's be honest here this morning there are a few differences between the five pillars of Islam and the death burial and resurrection of Jesus is that right yeah that's right And yet, i got to tell you folks that I'm kind of drawn to that commercial. There's something wonderful, truly wonderful about recognizing people made in God's image and respecting human dignity at every level and and just, just realizing these guys are just buddies. They're just friends. And that one of them, or maybe both of them, went out of their way to remove some obstacles or to remove some barriers to just be friends. There's something I'm kind of drawn to about that commercial. Can I talk to you today about removing obstacles? I love the vision statement that you kind of have for 2017. I kind of learned through a preaching meeting that I attend at our College Heights Church in Joplin that some other churches in Oklahoma kind of using this as well. It's a great statement. I'm glad you're using it. Where everybody's welcome nobody's perfect, and anything is possible. I love it. Where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything is possible. I want to draw a bead for you this morning, on this third Sunday of February, on that that first statement, where everybody's welcome. I'm thinking to myself, if we pull this off, it's going to be because you and I, have worked or gone out of our way to try to remove some obstacles. You're in the study of the book of Acts and to a great extent that's what we see. These early Christians trying to remove some obstacles. Oh, they're willing to leave in place the obstacles that need to stay. There is this core to our faith we do not want to negotiate away. But on the other hand, we ought to probably go out of our way to to try to just help people get along, don't you think? And just be friends. I have a buddy He's a very bright fellow, really. I try to hang around those people if I can. It just helps me, you know, a great deal. And his name is Dr. Mike Chambers. And for years he was the academic dean at Florida Christian College down in Kissimmee, Florida. Then he stepped away from that and became the academic dean at St. Louis Christian College. And now he's gone back to Florida. He's kind of the head person over the merger between Florida Christian College and Johnson University. And he's kind of the head guy down there now. And I was in church camp with Mike years ago, we were in seminary together, and he showed me how to do a flaming groovy at church camp. If you want to know, I'll tell you after church. Anyway, flaming groovy, it's quite an amazing thing. But Mike's a very brilliant fella, and this is why I'm quoting Mike Chambers for you this morning. He said this, I like it. He said, really, when you think about it, gang, that evangelism is nothing more than removing obstacles on people's paths. In route to the cross. Do you like that? Evangelism is just removing obstacles on people's path in route to the cross. And that's what I think we find in the eighth chapter of Acts when we study through Acts. You see, Jesus outlined this book for us. I don't have to outline it. He already did it in Acts 1 verse 8 he says to the Apostles you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses now here goes the outline in Jerusalem chapters 1 through 7 in all Judea and Samaria chapters 8 through 12 and to the uttermost parts of the earth chapter 13 to 28 I have a friend that works with me at Ozark Christian College his name is Drew Ashwell and his license plate from Missouri personalized license plate reads Acts 29 oops oh no he's exactly right Acts 29 you and me we write the 29th chapter of the book of Acts and I wonder how well we're doing I wonder if we're doing everything possible to remove the barriers to remove the obstacles so that everybody know that they're welcome at church well in Acts chapter 8 we have a pretty strong message in that regard and here's what I think it says it tells us that those people that are near sometimes they are still far and sometimes those that are far are actually quite near and that's what I see in this eighth chapter can I kinda of divide it up for you a little bit today if you have your Bibles let's just read chapter 8 verse 4 I'll pick up the reading there you remember the story now Stephen the first martyr he's been killed for his faith died very similar to Jesus lay not their sin to their charge talk about removing barriers and then we read these words in Acts 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered, of course persecution scattered them. Saul of Tarsus was holding the coats with which they stoned Stephen with those hands and rocks. He went about pre- they went about preaching the word. Verse 5, Philip went down, you understand that's going north, Jerusalem's on a hill. They went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord pay attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Look at this, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had had them, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Don't you rejoice? The gospel spreading, Philip, this is not Philip uh, the Apostle, this is Philip one of the seven, he's preaching the gospel, people are responding, miracles are taking place, it's quite a day. They got it going on. But I can guarantee you this, any church that takes the Great Commission seriously will have a fight on their hands. The enemy is not going to let this alone. The jaws of hell will rise up and try to nip the growth of the church in the bud. So here's what God does whenever the gospel goes to a new ethnic or geographical location and acts, like in chapter 8, like chapter 13, like chapter 16, like chapter 19. Every time that Satan rears his ugly head, the Holy Spirit will manifest some special phenomena to make sure that we got this knowledge that greater is he who is in us than he that's in the world. And so we find, next story, chapter 8, beginning with verse 9. But there was a man named Simon. Now this is not Simon Peter. This is Simon the sorcerer. I think he works for the other team, okay? So Simon, who had previously practiced magic, that's the same word used to talk about the wise men at the Christmas story in Bethlehem. In that city he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Wow. A legend in his own mind do you think? They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying this man is the power of God that's called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized both men and women. See here's what I think. I think even in our fallen condition people can tell the difference between the real thing and a a substitute. They can tell the difference between a counterfeit and the real McCoy. And the people of Samaria noticed this. So it said they were baptized. Verse 13, look at this. Eve believed. And after being baptized, he continued to fill up. And seeing great signs and wonders performed, he was amazed. So he used to amaze them. Now he's amazed. Is he a Benedict Arnold? Is he a true disciple? I'm not exactly sure. But at least the language that Luke uses to talk about him makes me think he's in this thing. He, at least. But you remember your line from your vision statement? Nobody's perfect, nobody's perfect. Even Simon the sorcerer will make an early rather tragic mistake as we go on to read. But word got back to the mother church and so this is what they do in verse 14, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them, this is interesting, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. I thought you got that when you became a Christian. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Well, okay, that's a little different than norm, but at least they got the Holy Spirit. They're converted. We're off and running. But watch this. Simon makes a mistake. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Can I tell you a little secret? In the early centuries of the church, there was a practice called simony. It meant the buying of ecclesiastical office, the buying of a church office, paying money to get clout in the church. Not a good thing. Give me this power also, he said, that anybody I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? Simon Peter is going to address Simon the sorcerer, and it ain't going to be pretty. Here's what happens. He says to him, down in verse 20, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart's not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord if possible. The intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Those are pretty strong words. And Simon himself said, shall I have one of you come up on stage and play ro- role play this with me? How did he say it? Was he sincere? Was he sarcastic? I don't know. I'm going to take it as sincere. And he says, pray for me that the Lord will, nothing of what you've said may come upon me. And when they testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now, folks, what do we have in this first section of Acts chapter 8? Can I say it this way? The Samaritans were geographically close, but they were light years away from where they needed to be. And I bet you, I just bet you, that you have some people in your neighborhood just like that. Geographically, they live fairly close to you. But they are a million miles away when it comes to the things of Christ. So how do we... in? Remove the obstacles and remove the barriers to try to help them. This is where the gospel spreads to the Samaritans. What do you know about the Samaritans? I won't even take the time to go into 722 B.C. and the Assyrian captivity, and whether or not that's where they really came from. Some scholars think so, some scholars think not. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you this. By the time Jesus arrives, it's not a wonderful day in the neighborhood. That part I can tell you. Do you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus had to go through Jerusalem, or had to go to Samaria? Now, he didn't have to, but he had to. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment, a divine appointment with a broken woman at a well. A well was a place of courtship and romance. Do you know that? And so he gets to this well, and he encounters this woman. And let's see, she's had five husbands. The guy she has now is not hers. That would be six. So Jesus is number... Seven. I wonder if that matters. I wonder if that matters. So they strike up a conversation because Jesus initiates it. Give me a drink of water, please. She's shocked. How is it that you, a Jew, ask of me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who was speaking to you, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Now, Tom Long, who's a teacher of preachers in Atlanta, Georgia, he says that in the Gospel of John, there's a rhetorical device that goes like this, question, answer, dumb response. Okay? That's how this goes. So here's the question. How is it that you a Jew? Ask of me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. And Jesus says, here's the response. If you knew who was telling, you would have asked him, he would give you living water. Here's the dumb response. You don't even have a bucket. Okay? She's thinking water. He's thinking Water. See, it's the double talk of the Gospel of John. But the tension that you see is that, oh, this is not good. I mean, she's Samaritan. She's just a little ways away. Geographically, she's close, but she's a million miles. From she thought the mountain was Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And Jesus says, it's really not about geography. It's really not about geography. It's about those that worship in spirit and truth. You go a little bit later into the gospel record and you find yourself in Luke chapter 9. It's that special section of Luke's gospel that's the travel narrative as Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. And they come through Samaria once again and they ask for lodging. But because they know he has his face set to go to Jerusalem, what do they do? They refuse Jesus and his 12 desperados lodging for the night. But James and John will come to their Lord's aid, right? James and John the Sons of Thunder, Boanerges, you'd love them in your youth group. They'd burn the church building down. They said, well, we call fire down from heaven and consume this village, Lord. And I wonder if the Lord said, boys, 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 please. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So there's this tension. And so in this section of Scripture, we see the gospel now with through Philip going to the Samaritans. These people are geographically close, but they are so far uh, Matt did not mention to you that we were at Ozark Christian College for 28 years, and then as part of a succession plan, we left, and we were in a church in Denver, South Denver, for three, a little over three years, and uh, we really never, ever, ever thought we would go back to Joplin, Missouri, and but you know how you know how well it works to say never with the Lord. Have you asked Jonah about this, Very well, it ne- so now I'm saying, I never want to serve in Honolulu, Lord. I never, 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 never want to serve in Honolulu. So anyway, we're back in Joplin and we're teaching, okay? And uh, oftentimes I still think, though, about Denver a lot. Think about Denver a lot. And uh, just a little ways from us was a community called Westwood. Our church was invested there. We called it in the original days the Square Mile because it was roughly speaking a square mile but it's known as the Westwood community, about 80% Hispanic, Um, kind of a crime infested sort of a drug problem. But we would go down there a lot to serve and to minister and to speak the gospel and Things like that. A lot of people live there are illegals. And this, this immigration and refugee problem, and t- it's just so involved and so hard. I, my puny brain can't get my uh, mind around it. But uh, here's the thing. It only took 15 minutes to get from Highlands Ranch down to Westwood. Geographically, those people were close. But they might have been, some of them, 10 million miles away. So what can we do to go into that kind of situation and remove the obstacles and the barriers to try to help people? I mentioned John 4 moments ago. Years ago when we were serving the Lord in Illinois, one of the deacons came out on Sunday night church, anybody remember Sunday night church? And, and, uh, and, and he said, you want to hear from somebody who's really nuts? I said, I'm all in. So we went to his house and he had a vinyl record, does anybody remember what a vinyl record looks like? And so he had this devotion by Grady Nutt. Grady Nutt was a Southern Baptist humorist. He was killed in a plane crash. He used to be on Hee Haw. That's the kind of cinema I watch. Anyway, so he was on Hee Haw, and he would tell stories. And he was funny. He was a comedian. He spoke every year at the Valentine's banquet at Broadway Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky. They had him back every year. But Grady Nutt tells this story about John 4. He gives a devotion. It's awesome. I mean, just, he just tells this, I mean, just a gut buster. You're just splitting laughing as he tells this story until the end. When he gets down to John four forty, and I read this just in my devotions, and, and, and it says, and Jesus stayed two more days in that village. What? Jesus stayed two more days in that village. Samaritan village. And then Grady Nutt says this, I've never been able to get this out of my head. In whose house do you think Jesus stayed? They didn't have Holiday Inn, you know. And I remember thinking to myself, no way. And then Grady Nutt says, I can't prove that he did, but you can't prove that he didn't. My Lord would take his twelve desperados and stay in the home of a woman of just to be able to care for. Would he do that? Would he do that in an effort to remove obstacles? Our our newest member of the family is a big six-foot-five biracial young man from Louisville, Kentucky area. His name is Matthew. He's awesome. He's great. And he's loving on our little daughter, our baby. We just think it's wonderful. He's just been accepted to Duke Divinity School for graduate study. So I decided I'd bring a former Duke Chapel preacher with me today. His name is Will Williman. He wrote a book called The Intrusive Word. May I read you a story? Here's what the now bishop of a Methodist church in Alabama has to say to us today. In my last congregation, we voted to launch a program of evangelism. Evangelism, you know what it means. It's the we had better go get out and get new members or we'll die syndrome. So we organized ourselves into groups of two, and on the appointed Sunday afternoon, we went out to visit to invite people to our church. The teams went out armed with packets of pamphlets describing our church, pamphlets portraying me, the smiling, pastor, you know, inviting people to come. Helen and Gladys were given a map. They were clearly told to go down Summit Drive and turn right. That's what they were told. I heard the team leader tell them, you go down Summit Drive and turn right. Do you hear me, Helen and Gladys? That's down Summit Drive and turn right. But Helen and Gladys, both approaching 80, after lifetimes of teaching elementary school, were better at giving than receiving directions. They turned left venturing down into the housing projects to the west of Summit Drive. We told them to turn right and they turned left. Which meant that Helen and Gladys proceeded to evangelize the wrong neighborhood. And thereby ran the risk of evangelizing the wrong people. Late that afternoon, each team returned to their church to make the report. And Helen and Gladys had only one interested person to report to us, a woman named Verlene. Nobody was interested on their route to come to our church except Verlene. She lived with her two kids in a three-room apartment in the projects, we were told. And although she'd never been to church a day in her life, Verlene wanted to visit ours. That's what you get, I said to myself, when you don't follow directions. When you don't do what the pastor tells you to do. You get a woman from the projects named Verlene. The next Sunday, Helen Gladys proudly presented Verlene at the 11 o'clock service along with her two kids. She liked the service so much she wanted to attend the Women's Thursday morning Bible study. Uh, so, Helen Gladys said they'd pick her up on Thursday. On Thursday, Helen appeared with uh, Verlene, and Verlene was pr- proudly clutching her new Bible, a gift from Helen's group, the first Bible Verlene had ever seen, much less owned. I was leading a study that morning from Luke chapter 4, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness with the devil. Have any of you ever been faced with a temptation and, with Jesus' help, resisted? I said after presenting my material. Have any of you refused because of your Christian commitment some temptation? And one of the women told about how just the week before there was some confusion in the supermarket checkout line. And before she knew it, she was standing in the parking lot uh, holding a, pe- a loaf of bread that she had not paid for. At first I thought, she confessed, why should I pay for it? They have enough money in there as it is. And then I thought, no, you're a Christian. So I went back in the store and paid him for the loaf of bread. I made some approving comments. It was then that Verlene spoke up. A couple years ago, I was into cocaine really big. You know what that's like? You know how stuff makes you crazy? Well, anyway, my boyfriend, not the one I got now, the one that was daddy my first child, that one, we knocked over a gas station one night, got $200 out of it, simple as taking candy from a baby. Well, my boyfriend says to me, hey, let's knock off the 7-Eleven down on the corner. And something in me said no. I held up a gas station with you, but I ain't going to hold up no convenience store. He beat the hell out of me because I said no, but it felt great to say no. That's the only time I ever said no to anything. Made me feel like I was a somebody. Can you imagine that being shared in the Thursday morning Bible study of the women at the church? Through the stunned silence, I managed to mutter, Well, uh, yeah, that's sort of resisting temptation. Shall we pray? After I stumbled out of the church parlor and was standing in the parking lot helping Helen into her Plymouth, she said, you know, I can't wait to get home, get on the phone, invite people to come next Thursday. Your Bible studies used to be dull. I think I can get a crowd for this. <laughs> and then Will Willem writes this, that is, that day, Verline taught me that evangelism is not about getting new members for the church. Though a new church is evangelism's harvest. Evangelism is not about helping somebody like me, nicely buttoned down, middle class, find deeper meaning in my life. Listen to this line. Evangelism is the gracious, unmanageable, messy byproduct of the intrusions of God. So I have one question for you. Here at First Church. Anybody not welcome here? Oh, I know, the default setting We be saying, no, no, no we, will, no, we want, we want, we... But Verlene might show up. And I think if I read this book right that will be okay. See, there are people that are far that really are near. Then there's people that are near geographically, but so far away. Is it possible to go the other way? Oh, I think so, because when you read the rest of Acts chapter 8, you, you see the people that are geographically quite removed. We're going to read about an Ethiopian eunuch. And, and yet, really, he's pretty close because he's been reading his Bible. Let's see what we see. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 8 says this Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So he's got a great revival going on and God moved him. Oh, the weavings of the Lord. And the ways he looks at life as opposed to how we so often do. This is a desert place. I love this about Philip. He rose and went. There's something marvelous about that obedience, isn't there? He arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian. That's below Egypt. He's geographically far. And get this. And a eunuch. I'm not even going to spend time defining that. A court official of Candace, or Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury. This is the secretary of treasury in another country. And he had come to Jerusalem to... to See, this is what's so strange to me, is that sometimes that people that seem so far are actually pretty close. Maybe, does this eunuch have Jewish blood running through his veins? I mean, this isn't chapter 10 yet. We're not to the Gentiles getting the gospel yet. Is he just that maybe he is Gentile, but he, he lives away, so he's no threat? Uh, is he a proselyte? He's been impressed with the monotheistic worship of the Jew. I, I don't know. But it says he was there to worship. The next verse, 28, says, "...and he was returning seated in his chair, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah." Well, that's a good choice. And the Spirit said to Philip, See, here's what I think. If we give ourselves to the Great Commission... The angels and the spirits will cooperate to give us divine appointments. Go over and join this chariot. The Greek actually says, Go over and be glued to this chariot. So Philip ran. Do, do, do you run? Do you run to tell people? He ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And what a great opening line! This is a great opening line. You're always looking for a good opening line. It's kind of interesting what he didn't say. You know, he didn't say, Nice chariot. Cool. Love the wheels. How long you had them? You know, What he said was, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture he was reading was this. Oh, wow, good choice. Do you know this passage is quoted in the New Testament almost more than any other passage in your Bible? And not too long ago, just months back, we stood in Caiaphas' house in Jerusalem. We looked at that dungeon where they held the Lord Jesus. We saw that archway that went over called Robinson's Arch toward the Temple area and fortress of Antonio where Jesus was flogged and killed, just, just beaten, to be taken out to be crucified and killed. And so this makes pretty good sense to us. We can see these. In my like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent. He didn't even open his mouth in that kangaroo court of Caiaphas. In his humiliation, his justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, the eunuch has a great question. He says, about whom does the prophet say this? Himself or someone else? I love this. Then Philip opened his mouth. Well, yeah, unless you're a ventriloquist, that's what you do. But see, this phrase, open the mouth, means to give a special teaching. It was a rabbinic phrase of Jesus' day. He opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, you know what I'm guilty of? I'm guilty of dumping the whole truck. Sometimes you just have to scratch where they itch. I love this. He just he started where he was, not where he wasn't. He didn't, he just, and he told him the good news of Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me? The Greek word kolu'o means what would hinder me? Now, probably if Philip had been honest, he could have said, I can think a whole lot of people in the Jerusalem church are going to have problems with this. What prevents me from being baptized? And, the text says, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in another town and ultimately ends up at Caesarea Maritima, a very beautiful city on the Mediterranean Sea where he stays for many years and preaches the gospel. Now, this little body of water they have identified as the Wadi El Hesai. That Awadi is just a dry riverbed until it rains. And then it just floods. And the eunuch says, can I get in? I I mean, I know I'm from Ethiopia and all. Like I know I'm a eunuch. Go read your Old Testament about such things. Can I get in? Is this for me? I know I'm far away, but I've been reading the Bible. And I just want to know if I can get in. That's all I want. If we remove barriers and we remove obstacles, then people that are geographically close but far might hear. And people that are geographically far might be nearer than you think. So uh, Dr. Fred Craddock used to teach in your state up the road at Enid, Oklahoma. And uh, before he came to Enid, Oklahoma to be a teacher, ultimately ended up in Atlanta teaching at Candler School of Theology in Emory University. He preached at a little church. And in this little church area, there, were, there was a power plant that was going up. So construction workers began to move in, and little tent cities and little shanties put up almost overnight. And one day at board meeting, Dr. Craddock said, you know, um, a lot of these people coming into our area to work on the power plant, uh, many of them have um, physical needs, they all have spiritual needs. I think we need to design some programs to reach out to these people. And in the board meeting, the next comment was this one, I make a motion that no one be allowed for membership in this church whose family has not owned property in the county for three generations. Kind of like, what? And Dr. Craddock could hardly believe his ears. The motion got a quick second. And there was a little discussion. Dr. Craddock said, I don't think this, I don't think, this probably, I won't. And he said, they reminded me, I was a preacher, my vote didn't count anyway. And, and, and they voted and it passed unanimously. And Dr. Craddock thought, how could you have such a miserly, shrunken spirit and heart? What is the... Well, he left there, came out to Enid, Oklahoma, taught many years of teaching, just passed away not too long ago. Years later, he and his wife, Nettie, were near that neck of the woods and they decided to try to find that old church. They changed the roads around and stuff, so it took them a little while. But they finally found the church, and there it was, out in the country, little white frame building, there was the church. (laughs) And the parking lot was packed. He thought, how can this be? With such shrunken hearts, such miserly spirits, how could the parking lot be packed? Vans, cars, pickup trucks with gun racks. What's going on? And then he looked up and realized, oh, it's not a church, it's a restaurant now. And it was about time to eat, and so he said his wife, Nettie, you want to go into church and eat? So they went in, and they didn't even change much. They just brought in tables, and they scooted the pews around to the tables. And Dr. Craddock looked around. Here's some African-Americans over here. Here's some Native Americans here. Here's some Hispanic Americans here. Here's some Anglos over here. And looking around, whew. And they got their little hot roast beef sandwiches, and they ate them down, and... They paid the bill and they went out and Dr. Craddock's helping Nettie get into the car and he says, Nettie, I'm sure glad that's not a church anymore because if it was, not all those people would be welcome. Do you need to face some things? Do I need to face some things? I've been following Jesus. Thank you for the birthday wish. My spiritual birthday precedes it by about a week. I've been a Christian for 55 years. And sometimes I think, why am I not farther along? Why are there things in my heart that aren't right yet? Can I face my own prejudices and my own... Dear God, please help me. So I guess it kind of comes down to this. Reading the book of Acts is like watching a pebble in a pool of water. And it just keeps spreading out into the wide embrace of God's grace. I remember being in Lexington, Kentucky, Broadway Christian Church years ago and heard little Marshall Leggett get up and preach through Acts 10. And I'll never forget his opening line. That door just keeps getting wider. I mean, it was wide enough to get you in, wasn't it? Was that a glorious day? Yeah, that was a glorious day. I guess this is what I came to tell you from Joplin, Missouri this morning. Here it is in a nutshell. Removing obstacles will make people near and far feel welcome in the kingdom of God. Will you pray with me? Oh God in heaven, we thank you for your wide embrace. It was enough to encompass us. Would you help us, Lord, to be equally gracious and generous with those that live near and those that live far. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.